I, I mandate that I handle my own sales, yeah. Oh, that, that's, that sounds about right. Um, are, you, are you ready to record? Let me know when you're good. Okay. Um, pay, we got to be quick. I got to get to Athens to uh, get to Kirby's Presser by noon. So um, you go. I got another hit at 10 anyway. All right. Let's get after it. Um, pay, I, I get told a lot, I would love to do what you do. Meaning like, you know, I, I have a dream job. I work at it like I do. I can't imagine how many times you get told, dude, I would love to do what you do. But I would imagine it wasn't very long ago. I've done my reading up on you. You were working in a fabrics wholesale store, like unloading trucks. How long ago? Uh, not that long ago, actually. Within the last 11 years. And then local radio and local TV after that. So, yeah, man, there's a look. You can't see them because I bite them too much. There's dirt under these nails, whether people know it or not. <laughs> who I, I, I can't remember his name. Who is the guy that basically heard you around the fabric store? The, the boss that was like, bro, you got to get out of here. You're bigger than this place. Because that, that was a, a big moment in your life, I would imagine, where someone showed a sign of belief in you that, hey, you don't need to be unloading trucks. You need to be doing something else. Yeah, hey, not that there's any problem with unloading trucks. No, not at all. The, you may have heard the last name Rothschild. Uh, David Rothschild of that family was the one who ran the, the branch that I worked at down there in Columbus, Georgia, on the corner of uh, 12th and Broad, I believe that is. And um, so I was working for him. And he, man, look, he was the one who pulled me aside and kind of tough loved me and said, you, you got ability, you got talent. I see it. You don't even see it. And I'm going to invest in you. Like, if you don't have enough pride to maximize your potential for yourself, will you do it for me? And he's, he didn't say it smiling either. He said it with a dead serious look on his face. He passed away a short time later. He had terminal cancer at the time. I didn't know it. And he did. And so, um, man, that couple other people were, were in my life really, really pushing me. But that kind of lit a fire. And it, it, didn't, it didn't happen overnight. But some tumblers started to fall into place that I'm – convinced or well beyond just coincidence but they started to fall into place and so long story but got there out. are there are a bunch of not a bunch of these but there are a couple of these in your story path that i learned about today one of which like not not just the practicing of the takes in the car and stuff like that driving around your car practicing your own radio segments when you didn't have airtime but your track to airtime is very unique everyone's tried bombarding the the station manager to see if i can come by and watch and do things like that. We all have those paths. But you you kind of have like this, this moment where one guy has a day where he calls in sick. Then Pate gets on air. And it's like over with from there. So I guess go, go talk, talk me through the breaks. And, and, and what are the advices to anybody if you could about like, hey, don't worry about it. Just keep trying. Keep trying. One day you'll get a break. Yeah. Um, be ready for 99 no's is yeah. my advice. As long as the hundredth is a yes. And maybe it takes a thousand, not a hundred. But. I was talking to the PD, the program director, down at the ESPN radio affiliate down in Columbus, Georgia. Bobby Robloski, Bobby Z was his on-air name. And um, he, he probably ignored three or four of my emails, which is fine. Just send a fifth one. And I sent a fifth one, and he said, all right, you can come in and observe. That's all I wanted to do, man. I had never been in a studio before. I had no intimate working knowledge of the business. I didn't have any relatives or family or friends in the business. I knew I was just fascinated. But I was that little cartoon girl in Arthur. I was standing outside the fence and I was looking in. And so he let me come in there and I came in there for about a month. I never asked to be put on air. I was, I was observing. I was drinking water from a fire hose. I was watching live production happen for the first time. 
And his co-host uh, got sick one day and, and gave a pretty short heads up because I think it was it was a pretty sudden thing. And so Bobby just said, I got no other options. Do you want to hop on air? And we hopped on air in the middle of college football season. And it was the most fun three hours. And it was a caller based show. And so I knew a lot of the regulars because I had heard them. And we go back and forth. And afterwards, he says kind of in passing, hey, by the way, where did you tell me you had worked before? And I said, I've never worked in radio before or anything in media. And he thought I was lying. But what you just said was true. I had just simulated sports talk radio driving around in my 04 Tundra down there in Forts in Georgia for a couple of years. So I probably had thousands of hours of simulated repetition to where when I got on air, it felt so natural to me. And I'm introverted, man. Socially, I'm yeah. introverted. So I did not know how I would be on air, but it was the most comfortable that I had felt. And I never got taken off air to this point. I've never been taken off air since then. A couple of Tundra guys cutting it up. Who would have thought? Um, no, you, again, you have very unique breaks. I think like even the, like it, it took talent. The talent was noticeable from moment you got in, right? You go from radio and then you get an opportunity to be on TV, but it wasn't just the breaks. It was the gambles on self too. I think a, a real breaking point in your career now looking back, and it might not have felt like this when you did it, but you bet on yourself after your first contract with that Columbus TV network. Did you not where they wanted to extend you, but you're like, Hey, I don't necessarily want that. I kind of want this my own YouTube show because I kind of think this idea of live streaming and not necessarily depending on the overhead and the massive machine might be the way of the future. And you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Here we are several years later. But what did that feel like at that moment to have the, the guts and the belief in self to say, no, 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 no. Just instead, hey, can I use your TV studio to kind of do my own thing? Lonely. I'm very, very uncertain. That's how it felt. It's fun to tell the story now, but you're talking about going from making $27,500 a year to making $350 a week as a full-grown adult. And, and a lot of what comes with that, which is, you know, it, it's, it's a tough time. It's a first-world tough time, but it's a tough time. Um, no, it's very simple. I was a news anchor at the time for them, and they wanted to extend me. And I didn't have a problem extending, but I wanted to extend and also do my own independent thing because it was the mid-2000s, mid-20-teens. And it was when Facebook and YouTube had first started to let you stream live. I understood the Berlin Wall breakdown that that was because it was a very traditional business with a very limited amount of space, very finite amount of spaces for people who wanted to do what we do at, at that point. Well, then when, when these things right here and when Internet became your distribution and, and when your phone became your studio or your living room became your studio, well, all of a sudden it wasn't a trickle like it was a it was a blowing up of the dam for anyone who wanted to take it. And so I, I told them what I wanted to do. They said that's not profitable. That's not monetizable. That's fine. I disagreed. And so I, I said, well, I'm not going to resign this contract if you're going to limit me to do that. So come last day of contract, they said, what is it you're going to do? Like, are you going to the rival station? What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And they said, yeah, but that's your hobby. What are you going to do for a living? I said, that's going to be my living because there's money to be made. There's career to be had there. So they said, well, if you really believe in that, how about you resign? Stay on as our news anchor. You just do it independent contractor, 1099 style. You're not going to make a whole lot of money, but my negotiating counterpoint was if you'll give me this TV studio three nights a week, give me the production, give me the control room and let me produce my own YouTube show out of this working television studio. I'll work for nothing for you. 
And they laughed, man. They said, absolutely, we'll do that. And it took about two years for us to launch Late Kick there. And when I say two years, I mean, we launched it and it took about two years. And then Shannon Terry called from CBS 24-7 one day. And I was up here in 2020. And that's how we got here. Done. Insto facto. Just like that. Quick overnight success, right? Microwavable. It's unbelievable how quick it works, man. You just Those stick it in there. You just stick it in there. Press a couple buttons. It pops right out. Mega star. That's it, man. It's just <laughs> uh, That's all that is. Absolutely. Hey, before we talk about football, um, you obviously had a little bit of a, uh, a crystal ball, if you will, on the industry six, seven years ago. Where, where are we? Where, where does this industry look like in five years? What, what, what do you think our business looks like half a decade from now or even a decade? Um, the tail wagging the dog. I think it's already in the process of happening. Um, I'm proud to have been at the forefront of that a little bit. I'm blessed to have been given the opportunity. So I'm not responsible for the opportunities I was given. I took them, but, but I couldn't have given myself opportunity. But think about this now. Anyone who's watching this is obviously on board with the concept of digital media already. Even five years ago, the idea of a show on a digital media platform like YouTube or, or Facebook Live before that, or Patreon or whatever. Um, the concept of those being taken seriously, the concept of, of a major media entity like CBS putting their backing behind that product, and they do it with us now, with Late Kick, that was complete like foreign concept, laugh in your face if you suggested it. The idea of someone like Pat McAfee building what he's built, was laughed at at ESPN a few years ago. Well, now they're paying him, what, nine figures over an extended period of time to bring that same product over there because that is the definition of tail wagging the dog. That's the definition of people who have been institutionalized in a more legacy bubble for 50 plus years looking and saying, oh, wow, it turns out the world is still changing. It wasn't a fixed model. It's a variable model still. And also as resource, gets pumped into the digital space. That means the quality of production gets upped in the digital space. And that's why once upon a time, I would have said, oh, I don't want to go and have my branding aligned with a major media company. Well, now that the investment and resources there and the understanding is there that maybe we need to let these folks do what they're doing because they kind of seem to understand it. You're not constantly interfered with, obviously, because I'm employed by CBS Paramount. Now, I feel a little bit different about that. And, um, you know, when I came here, I had some people tell me, oh, you'll regret that. That's selling out. That's going corporate. Well, I challenge people to look at our show now and look at it three years ago, look at it five years ago. And other than fancy graphics, you close your eyes and listen to it. What changes about it? What, what tastes different about it? I would say nothing at all. So who was right? Sounds like you were. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a little football. Um, in your opinion, we'll start with Georgia because that's where the base is. In your opinion, what's been the biggest key to the sustained success in Athens that, that Kirby Smart and that regime's got going on right now? Um, not talking about a standard, understanding how to implement it. Everybody claims they have a standard. It's like uh, who was talking, Manny Diaz, I heard talking about the other day how, oh, every defensive coordinator preaches winning the turnover battle. Someone's going to finish last in the country in turnover margin. So it's not preaching it. It's actually getting it to be implemented and getting it to be adopted by your guys. And also... I know everyone's picked up now on that be willing to eat off the floor thing that he's been preaching up there as part of their critical pillars, but it's not a talking point. That, that's the biggest takeaway from me. The stuff they preach, it's not a talking point. If you walk in their building, 
talk to their coaches, talk to their players, just hang around it, like get the vibe for a day. It's, it's culture. It's like if you cut them open, that's what bleeds out. So you can believe in like game week motivational tactics. You can believe in all that stuff. It's, it's like fizz and a Coke if you don't have all of the foundational stuff built in already. And what you'll see during the season is a lot of guys don't have the foundational stuff built in. So they hope that they can sort of cotton candy sugar high their way to a win and they count on all that stuff. I'm not saying Kirby doesn't use it, but when he uses that stuff, it's using it as a springboard off of what he's already built and all those players get it. I think the one thing that's always stood out to me about Kirby is his ability to be on go with everybody at all times and their willingness to accept that that's out of the the real, he just wants me to be the best version of myself. And like every coach is not necessarily a hard ass, but he always is. And that's really hard to be as a manager, just to be always on site, on go with everybody and it not to wear thin. It doesn't seem to have weared thin at Georgia. That's why the standard is able to be implemented year over year. Um, let's flip over to the SEC West. There is a football team over there that people are well known about um, in Alabama. Nick Saban, well into the regime of the, the goat of all goats. You've coined a term. Now, we talked about this off air, but murder ball. This idea that Alabama is going to get back to physical branded football, get back to running the ball. And if you listen to the messages from not only Saban, but the players coming out of Tuscaloosa, They've clearly taken uh, notice of that messaging as well in-house. They are clearly telling their players, we fitting to run the dang ball. Um, do you think, in your honest opinion, murder ball or the idea of just running the damn ball is going to be something that can win in 2023, honestly, in your opinion? Yeah, if, if, this is a really big if, so double caps this, if it is combined with the kind of secondary play, kind of defensive play in general, mm -hmm. that they used to be famous for so you don't have to look very far look in your backyard there and look in athens georgia um, stetson bennett and that offense they had some good numbers through the air kind of deceptively good i would imagine from a national perspective mm. but the hallmark of that team was not high flying it wasn't flash it was just sledgehammer to the face and the thing about that that's so beautiful in its simplicity is if you're a bigger, stronger person swinging a sledgehammer at a smaller, weaker person, there's not much variance. Like there are not too many ways that can go unless you drop the sledgehammer or, you know, you sprain your wrist or something. There's nothing they can do. They just have to stand there and take it. And so with Alabama, that used to be the way it is. I got all the respect in the world for the shift Saban made, the necessary shift in the mid-20-teens to doing things a different way. Well, there was this thought that the sport – was not a pendulum anymore. It was just a rocket ship. And it was just always going to go that direction. And, and we were wrong. I thought that. I was wrong about that. And so I, I love that Kirby and Georgia did what they did and proved you can still win games defensively. You can still be a defensive-oriented team winning championships, which people said can't happen anymore. Nick Saban has said you're not winning games like that anymore. What he may have meant to say is we can't win games like that here right now anymore because that would be true. So if, if their secondary is as good as I think it is this year, if you don't get Jalen Hyatt, DeMarco, Hellum-style mismatches like we saw last year and someone hangs half a hundred on you, yes, yes, they're one of the few teams that can win like that because they're one of the few programs, Georgia's one, Ohio State's one, where they have the kind of personnel where technically they can choose about three or four different ways they want to play and win. Some places your personnel dictate there's one way you have to play. Bama's not like that, but – 
they've also got to be fully committed to it. And I, I think they are this year. And so that's why I've got the feeling I do about them. But hey, I mean, look, if I'm wrong about that, and if they're in a bunch of dogfight, one possession games, not against not against the LSUs of the world, but against the Ole Misses and Arkansas of the world, um, that's trouble. And that's, and that's not just trouble for 2023. They've recruited well enough to where they can outpower 11 or 12, you know, 11 and one schedule, a 12 and one schedule. They can do that if, to win a national title. I, I feel like you to overcome mediocre quarterback play, you kind of have to have transcendent defensive, like historic defensive play on that side of the football. You mentioned particularly that 2021 national title with Georgia. I don't think they had great quarterback play. I think Stetson Bennett that year was okay he was slightly above average okay well they had five first round defensive players on that defensive side of the football just in that one draft at a sixth in Jalen Carter um, at a seventh in Nolan Smith so they were obviously historically talented on defense Alabama historically talented as usual this year I think they've had number one recruiting classes what three out of the last four years over on 24-7 sports so they've done a good enough job stacking dudes around that football team like you said to be able to outman everybody else my question comes January what happens when we don't have you know above average to great quarterback play hey Pay, what's your take on cheeseburgers love them but also try and avoid them more than once a week why I, I mean, I'm just curious to watch this whole thing go down at Michigan, and and it was just my my opportunity to ask you about cheeseburgers because you don't strike me as somebody who's out here eating the goods. You, you no, strike no, me as I, somebody I, I who you're I chicken and rice guy. It, look, uh, pizza cheeseburgers. I, I have the most unrefined palate in America, probably. And even if you made me a billionaire, I just still eat the same stuff and dress the same way. Um, how do I segue here? You know, Jim Harbaugh dresses in a similar fashion and he makes a ton of money. Okay, so speaking of Michigan, what in the world? When, when, they, when they started going at it with the NCAA, I thought this may be a sort of a line of demarcation, maybe like a Rubicon moment where someone very publicly just said no. Like no one's done that with the NCAA. They, they have never said in a front-facing manner, we're acknowledging your allegations, prove it. That happens behind the scenes all the time. It's not happened out front, like on stage where everyone can see it. And what's great about it is you initially had a four-game suspension on the table. Then we say, nope, we're not going to do that at all. And then he says, oh, we're going to go three games. And then we'll maybe do one next year. We're going to defer one of the games. Then you check the schedule and, oh, three games is exactly how many games they have before conference play this year. Oh, one game is exactly how many games they have before Texas next year. How beautiful. That's how, that's how I'm going to handle my debt from now on, by the way. It's an absolute petty off. That's what it is. It's how petty can I be towards you and how petty can you be? Even the comment from the, uh, the NCAA about this is not about cheeseburgers. Like, I've never heard the NCAA come out and make a public statement about an ongoing, what I guess you would call an investigation, which, mm -hmm. by the way, what a job. What a job. My boss calls me and says, hey, we got this tip that uh, Harbaugh might have accidentally bought a cheeseburger for a football player. Go, go do some digging on that. I, I just couldn't imagine the sincerity behind that comment in an office building, in an office setting. I have to go do that now. I have to go ask Jim Harbaugh about his purchase of a cheeseburger. Um, hey, hasn't happened since Archie Griffin in the mid-'80s. Real quick, what are the chances that Caleb Williams repeats as a Heisman Trophy winner? Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't like have the – Heisman odds market memorized, but I know he's at the top. I think that 
it could be the weirdest dynamic because we could get to the end of the year again. And let's say, let's say USC duplicates what they did last year. They play for the Pac-12 title. He's got monster numbers. They lose the Pac-12 title game. He made it far enough there where he, his team has accomplished enough where his individual accolades can be recognized. So you may have a back-to-back -back Heisman winner, never even wins a conference title. And in a normal world, you would look at that and you would say, wow, Lincoln Riley just wasted a two-time Heisman winner because he, he stayed married to Alex Grinch and they were what they were defensively. But then in the very next breath, you'll say, no, nah, man, they just got Malachi Nelson over there. They will have a steady stream of those quarterbacks. He's coached three of the last six. In this case, Lincoln Riley will have had four of the last seven Heisman winners play for him. So that won't end. It'll just be, do we really accept that we need to score 43 plus every week? Are we really going to live that lifestyle forever? I guess. I guess that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I haven't gotten a no on it. I just, I ask it and it just drifts out into the Pacific. No, I, I, I guess Alex Grinch is just a great hang. Is that, is that what it is? I talked to someone in the agent world and he said, the running joke in our business right now is that Alex Grinch is still out there. And they're not talking about the USC thing. They thought Lincoln should have let him go at Oklahoma. So you, you get to, you get the USC. If you just wipe the slate clean and you didn't know anything, you would reasonably say, well, we can't fire the guy after the first year because he had what he had to work with. But Lincoln Riley didn't hire Grinch when he went to USC. He's been with him already. So we've, yeah. we've seen this already, and there's not really – I don't know, man, a ton of reason to believe there's going to be quantum improvement this year. We'll see. To me, it's an allocation of resources discussion. We talked on our, our show. I mean, one out of every 18 NFL first-round draft picks transfer, so meaning the other 17 guys on average that are getting drafted in the first round – They've been at that university. They didn't transfer into that university. They've been there. Yeah. Well, in the last three cycles, dating back to Oklahoma, I believe his numbers are 45 defensive transfer players signed, 33 high school football players signed. So he's just not allocating the resources to the defensive side of the football like he is the offensive side of the football. So Alex Grinch or Glenn Schumann, he might have a better defensive coordinator, but he's not going to have better players. And sometimes that's what matters in college football. Um, speaking of quarterback discussions, does it matter who plays quarterback at Ohio State, or do you just insert 3,900 yards, insert 35 touchdowns, no matter, under Ryan Day? It doesn't matter for 10 games. Kind of the same thing yeah. with Bama. It doesn't matter for 10 games, but you're not trying to go 10-2 and two either. So, look, it, it, it turns out it didn't even matter that C.J. Stroud was at the helm last year because they couldn't stop things defensively. They couldn't stop explosive plays defensively. And you sit there and say, well, Josh – it's all it's November and it hasn't mattered yet. Yeah, but if it's about to matter, it matters. And so this year, it's, it's going to be the same thing people say with Bama, just Bama gets tested more so you'll know more frequently. But with Ohio State, I mean, what, what if what if they're winning games all year but you're watching it and you're going, "Man, but if we ever get down by 10, what are we going to do?" Yeah. That that will not leave you alone as a fan. Uh, to be honest with you, I think Georgia fans are probably going to have the same questions. You're not going to have any idea or any test until late November, mid-November. Yeah. That's kind of a, a scary proposition for a team who doesn't know much about their starting quarterback entering 2023. Hey, December's headline today. What are we going to be talking about in December as conference championship week rounds up, Heisman Trophy ceremony wraps up, when the regular season of college football comes to a kaput? What is going to be the headline? I think it's going to be that you could never have possibly known. 
there are going to be people who predict Georgia to win a national title this year. Yeah. Let's say Georgia wins the national title, but they they lose against like Ole Miss, and then they're in a dogfight in the SEC championship game, and every there's just chaos and there's smoke and and flames all around us, and Georgia ends up emerging, but it's not remotely for the reasons you thought they would emerge, and it's instead because no quarterback worked out at Bama, and um, you had Ohio State never get it figured out, and Penn State ended up winning the Big Ten, and we had Oregon State come out of the Pac-12. We had a two-loss team in the playoff for the first time ever. Like it, That right there is the kind of season I think we're going to have because outside of Williams and outside of May, neither of whom are on a team that plays a lick of defense, wh- where do you have this stability? LSU's got that, but LSU just had to import an entire secondary. Uh, Florida State's got it, but Florida State is as low on the blue chip ratio as any contending team we've seen in recent memory. It's a recipe for a lot of chaos. You can't guarantee it's going to happen, but if I had to predict this number headline, I'd say that's it. Yeah, we're coming into a college football season where Alabama's got a new coordinator and quarterback. Georgia's got a new coordinator and quarterback. Clemson, new coordinator and quarterback. Ohio State, new coordinator and quarterback. A lot of chaos. Recipe said there's going to be a lot of chaos in college football this year. Last question I got for you, Pay As the person who has the most notable and public backing to be the college football commissioner. Are you worried at all about the future of college football? If so, if not, why? Sure. Yeah, I'm worried about it um, because the wrong people have their hands on the wheel. But ultimately, it it's like the offensive thing we talked about. I don't think it's just a rocket ship that continues to go off into space. I think eventually common sense prevails, and I really think that the opinion of fans is being more valued now because the collective disgust with the way things are going has been noticed. I can promise you it has, talking to people behind the scenes. And when you when you spook average people, make no mistake, that's who's running the sport right now. Very average-minded people get spooked easily. When they spook easily, they take their foot off the gas. And when they take the foot off the gas, maybe a little bit of common sense prevails. Gotcha. Well, that is Josh Pay. I, do, I check the metrics. I know you're a metrics guy. I know you're a big numbers guy. So I don't have to tell you about this. But YouTube's got a little feature where they tell you where your subscribers are subscribing. I don't have to tell my people to subscribe to you because I know we have a massive overlap already. Josh Pate, late kick. Uh, what is that, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, my boy? That's it, man. Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, 8 o'clock over there on his YouTube channel. I appreciate you for doing this, man. People have been wanting this for a while. Um, we just started doing guests. You don't do them. So uh, we figured we'd get you on. I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no doubt. All right, my man. All righty, that was the man himself, Josh Pate. Like I said, towards the end, there's plenty of overlapping between his work and my work, my, my listeners, if you should say, and his fans. Y'all know who that guy is. Y'all been asking for that for, it seems like, a while now. Um, I thought it was important that I talked to him about kind of the, the time before everyone knew who he was. I remember direct messaging Josh when I found him on uh, YouTube I mean, this was before 2020. This was this was when it was just late kick, and it was in Columbus, and nobody really knew. And I was, and he was already blowing up on YouTube. He already had 20, 30, 40,000 subscribers on YouTube, and the willingness that he had to be willing to help uh, another YouTube cr- content creator and say, "Hey, here's some tips that I have. Some changes around this network, whether it be thumbnails, our general opening, uh, how, how we go about communicating with the listeners on this network." Things have changed around here directly through the input of someone who didn't have to do it. 
Josh Pate being that person. That is a, a genuine a genuine human being um, and also one of the gnarliest ping pong players I've ever played in my life. I consider myself relatively fat athletic. I'm a fat leak. I can go out and do just about anything. I can figure it out. Relatively good ping pong player. That dude beat my ass up and down the ping pong table for about five games. Boys, I played him five times. He had two different serves in each five games. I saw 10 different serves from Josh Pate in five different games of ping pong. That's a ping pong playing SOB, dude. Yeah, he definitely strikes me as a guy that whatever he's going to do, he's going to make sure he's the best at it and work as hard as he can at it. Yeah. Who do you think benches more, you or him? Prime? Like right now or like prime? Like I'm right I'm, now, if if Josh Payton right wa- now he smokes me, but there's no way in my prime he bench pressed more than me. There's just no way. You gotta get back to your prime, dude. I don't know if it's ever gonna happen. Far too many shoulder injuries and not near enough uh, will to get back into the gym. You don't got the dog like in you anymore. No, I ain't got that dog. They euthanized in me. it. I also don't have the time to do that. No offense. Uh, I mean, that, now, you know, now we're, we're stretched excuses. a little bit more thin than the, the than the white shirt wearing Pate. The the white shirt wearing Brooks was stretched as thin as could be today. No reasons for making any excuses. Hey, if you are found us today and, and you're new here because Josh Pate was here today, make sure you're hitting that thumbs up button and subscribing. We like to talk a little college football around here, like this right here. We like to do it in a little different stance than we used to or that some people do. We like to have a little fun. Like the easiest jobs in college football. And I think the easiest, if I'm saying this is the bar, this is where we're going to set it. Josh Pate's stylist is the easiest job in college football. The dude has no decisions to make. There's nothing. So whoever at the CBS Sports headquarters is there and responsibility is to make sure on-air talent looks professional or is looking like they're supposed to, Josh Pate's stylist got the easiest job in the world. Yeah, that seems about as easy as Air Force's passing game coordinator. That guy, easy job. Easy. We wear white shirts, we run the ball. Equally as easy as possible. Does Air State does Air does Air Force even have a passing game coordinator? They do now. Yeah, they do. Yeesh. That yeah. He just probably just sits in the office three hours twiddling his thumbs. Do you have one easy job? In yeah, I've got a couple actually. I think starting off with on field things, backup kicker is one of the easiest jobs in the world. You, I, w- I was thinking Iowa's actual like specialty kicker, the guy that kicks off kickoffs. Yeah, super easy job. But nine times out of ten in college football, that guy also kicks field goals. And ain't no one getting more work in the red zone than Iowa's field goal kicker. Iowa's marching band doesn't have to do a lot. That they, is they're correct. They're not scoring a whole lot. Yeah, not a lot of fight songs going on in Iowa. Nope. I'll, I'll tell you a kicker has the easiest job in college football. It's Charlotte's. They kicked five field goals last year. That's it? That's it. Over the last three seasons, they've kicked 27 total. How is that the possible? Hell? Five field goals in a whole season last year. Is it just a is it just a a, a program wide thing? We're just like we don't talk about specialists here. They don't use them. <laughs> they, there. I guess they, they just they, go for two every time. I don't know. That's kind of fire. That's that's in. They're playing NCAA fourteen. That's kind of fire. <laughs> I like that. I is, like all that. Right, here's one. I don't know if this is an easy job or hard. Is being a get back coach hard? It depends on your coach. Being Kirby Smart, being Scott Sinclair is not easy. Yeah. Okay. At the University of Georgia. Because I mean it. In theory, it's a very simple job, but enacting it might be harder. So I, I, I went back and forth. Is that the, one of the easier jobs or is that one of the harder jobs? So I couldn't really tell. I got two USC positions right here. The punter at USC going to have a nice cushy job this year. I would imagine not going to be doing a lot of punting because of the quarterback play and because of the lack of general defense on that side of the football for USC. Going to be doing a, a lot less punting this year than normal. Um, USC's quarterback coach, super easy job because – 
it's Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Yeah. Lincoln Riley's the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator, and the head coach. It's no wonder some things slip through the cracks out there at the USC Trojan program. Absolutely. Here's another hard one. The guys that run out with the Colorado Buffalo. Oh, dude. Bro. Hard job, but kind of lit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, fun. I get to get fun. strapped to a Buffalo? I feel like once every five or six years, there's a video that goes viral of just one of them getting trampled. <laughs> kind of like the Schooner Schooner. Now, that's a difficult job. No, Keeping you're just riding a wagon. Upright? Yeah. Bro, you're riding in a wagon. That's not that you're, hard. Exactly. It's 2023. Your ass is riding in a horse-drawn wagon. What are you, Amish? Like, that's just something you do on the daily? You, you, out, here with, you out here with street cred on like, the wagon. I feel like it can't be that hard to ride in a wagon, bro. I think it's pretty hard. We got to make it happen. I want to see this. I want to watch this. Yeah, let this. me get on the Sooner Schooner, and we'll see how hard it is. Y'all got horses and wagons? Flip that bitch so quick. <laughs> <laughs> I know a guy. The moment we go real national and, like, pay, we got all these, like, road trips and we go out to the Sooner country, we got to hop on that wagon and yeah, let, we'll let Kirby find. see what it's all about. I think it's a little more difficult than you think. All right. You got Hardest job. Hold on. I got one more easiest oh, you one. One more, you got I got easy one. R.I.P. Mike Leach's PR manager. That's an easy job. Everybody loves Everybody Mike Leach. Everybody loves You never had to, regardless of what he said or anything, he was either going to say a few two words or he was just going to be good no matter what. That's got to be a job. difficult job to be his SID, though, to tell yeah. him, hey, we got to go. Like, stop talking. <laughs> yeah. It's time to Mike, move on. Mike, it's been two hours. Everyone wants to go home. Please. Mike, it's been two and a half hours. You're still talking about mascots. We got to go. <laughs> we have got to get out of here. Shouts out Mike Leach, RIP. All right, hardest jobs in football. Um, Ryan Day's hairstylist, particularly around November, is getting worked, son. I'm talking about the just for men, a lot of gray coming in there midway through the season, and it's reapplication time for that stylist team. Ryan Day's hairstylist working tooth to bone at the end of the year. Yeah, I never really thought about it until you mentioned it. He's got jet black hair. Almost, oh, it's, 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 almost too, it's too black. It's as black as those curtains. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like Steven Seagal black, where it's like, that's kind of sus. Yeah, it's a little sus. We know. We know <laughs> yeah. you're painting the fences yeah, there, yeah. bro. Yeah, what, what you got for hard? I got a couple. Oregon's equipment manager. Damn it. Bro. That's, that a, that's a tough job, man. Ooh, I mean, every I like single that. week, you got to like roll out the drip again. Everything's fresh. It's yeah. always something new every that's single week. That's such a good call. Like 211 uniform combinations yeah, or I something mean, like that. goodness gracious. Such a good – what happens if you, like, get – you read an email wrong? You got two different types of yellow pants. They say we're wearing yellow pants this week. You packed the wrong yellow pants. You're in trouble, man. That's a, that's a good call. Kirby's microphone holder. That guy gets a workout every single time I'm at practice. That The little – the little assistant that's like running around with Kirby as Kirby's running around, not an easy job. And you know he's like really, really intense at that moment. So if you're not where you're supposed to be, you're going to get motherfucked really, really quickly. Um, Deion Sanders, social media specialist, mm. works harder than anybody else Probably, in college yeah. football. That person is, you talk about mass content production. We do mass content production around here. Ain't a social media content company out here in the world producing more content than the Colorado Buffaloes. Mm -mm, no. I, I got another one. Being a class checker. Ooh, where that, at? Where at? That's important. Because at Harvard, easy business. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm talking like big power five schools where you got five-star athletes that are like, no. I bet I'm it's hard to get kids at Oklahoma State to go to class. I just got a feeling. What else is there to do, though? Exactly. That's my thing. We're just going to sleep. <laughs> got no like motivation because we're in Oklahoma State. We got no reason to go to class. I feel like having kids in party towns would be harder. Like if you got someone in Madison, Wisconsin, or Athens where it's like, why would I go to class where I can go out and do this shit? I mean, that's probably harder than Oklahoma State. It's like, well, it's Oklahoma. What else am I going to do? But so you think because it's boring, I can actually go to class because I don't have yeah, that many Yeah, because, I mean, some people are like, you know those kids who are like class, like going to school, elementary school and high school is like the most exciting part of their day. 
Because then when you went home, not shit was happening. Like, if you lived on a dead street, like, you didn't live with anybody, going to school was fun. I'm, going to school was never fun for no. me. What do you got? Uh, I say Tennessee's field paint crew. Not just because oh, of the checkerboard. checkerboards, but also you got to stare at that ugly orange the whole time you're doing Ooh, it. Like, that that's, that's not a fun job. That's not an easy job. Time-consuming. I'm out on that. That's tough. That's yeah, a tough checkerboard, job. checkerboard probably a pain in the ass. Yeah. John Howell in the chat saying Dion's son handles all the social media content. I mean, had to fill a whole job just for him. Keep it within, <laughs> keep it within the family. It's smart. Yeah, keeping it within the house. Buffs only. I like that. Um, Lincoln Riley's next defensive coordinator's got his hands full. I know he's still got Alex Grinch. I mean, writing's on the wall eventually. That's going to get shit canned. Does he, though? Because expectations are so low. They are, but you're going to get zero resources. Like we've talked about on this channel over and over and over again. Like we just talked about with Pate. It doesn't matter if Lincoln Riley's defensive coordinator was Bill Belichick. If he doesn't give him Jimmys and Joes, the X's and O's will only take you so far. Being his defensive coordinator is tough. It is a really hard job because you're not getting the resources that he's getting and you're expected to perform at the rate, not at the rate that they do offensively, but you have to match it at some point. I'll give you another Lincoln Riley one. This might be the toughest job in the entire country, eating Lincoln Riley's food. Ooh. That might be the toughest one. Is that a job? I mean, if you're yeah. his kids, it probably feels like a job. <laughs> you're thinking about his kids. Shit, dad cooked again. Oh, man, you see coach invite us to another cookout. Dang, man. Don't let him cook. Yeah, don't let him cook. <laughs> Dang, man. Don't let him cook, man. It's, I mean, it's hard to, it's, it's harder to mess up brisket than it is to mess up fish. Like, you can overcook a fish real quick. Um, but to do both, that's a talent. It's yeah, a talent yeah. in its own right to mm -hmm. mess up both those things. All right, it is Pac-12 day around here, believe it or not. We only saved about 12 minutes for the Pac-12 because we think it's relatively top-end loaded, okay? I think it's one of the toughest divisions from a one through five standpoint that college football provides. We talked about the Big 12 yesterday. The Big 12, kind of the antithesis of this. The Big 12, real thick from two to about 14. There's no real in-betweens between the, the bottom feeders and the middle ground of the Big 12. This is the opposite. There are big boys in this conference. There are four or five teams that might actually have a legitimate chance to win this conference. And then there's everybody else. To avoid the, uh, let's call it painstaking, uh, you know, content that is us talking about wazoo football okay we're going to skip the bottom half of this conference and we're going to go through our power five i'll start with my power five in the pac-12 right here i do think usc has a chance to win this conference and should win this conference they have caleb williams plus they play ucla washington and utah at home they do have two tough road games notre dame obviously out of conference not going to impact their chances to win the pac-12 and they play oregon on the road at the end of the season they're going to have to basically finish off the season strong with that road game against Oregon but I think they have all the ability and all the talent offensively to do so I got Oregon number two I think they're the most balanced football team in this conference and they've recruited well enough to be in contention in this conference as long as it exists which be which means this final year in the Pac-12 I got Oregon number three this is a conference being the Pac-12 that is predicated on points if you can score points you have an opportunity to win football games they're going to be putting up a lot of points this fall with my, uh, Mike Penix in his fifth, oh, sixth, hold on. seventh. You mean year. Washington at three? You Washington said Oregon three. at three. I said Oregon. I meant Washington at three. Oregon at two. 
That's my bad. Thanks for the correction, boys. Um, yeah, Washington at three. I think they're going to score a lot of points in a conference that is predicated off of scoring points. Utah in at four. Guys, I think Kyle Winningham is the definition of consistency as a football coach. They are perennially also one of the older rosters. One thing that doesn't get necessarily talked about with Utah in their roster construction, they for years have just pounded the Samoan regions in this country for recruiting. And what that means is you're getting older football players that enroll into your program and you're getting them to stick around a little bit longer, okay? Go through Utah's roster, you will see old, physical, dominant football players, big physical football players on both lines of scrimmage. That is why they physically manhandle a lot of these football teams in this conference that will not change year in and year out. They will remain, stat or remain consistent. And then I put UCLA at five. I do believe in Dante Moore. I think he's going to be the starting quarterback towards the middle of the year. And I believe that Chip uh, Kelly has an ability to be more consistently good on the Power 5 level than anything Oregon State has ever proven to be in college football. Okay, I know Oregon State is a hot bet this year. I know Oregon State is something that everybody likes out of the Pac-12. And they may be good. Maybe DJ Uyunglele is that guy, finally. Okay, maybe it comes together for him in year 4, year 5 of college football. But am I really sitting here expected to believe that Oregon State is going to have consecutive, positive football seasons? No, I'm not, I'm not going to buy into that. you got to show me that you can stack consecutive seasons, in my opinion. Boys, what say you about the Power Five out in the Pac-12? I got USC at one. I think Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, that's a really good duo by itself. And I think that that offense is just so powerful and so good that I think it's going to carry them to the top seed in the Pac-12. Two and three for me, kind of interchangeable. I kind of went back and forth with that. I got Utah at two, actually. Mm. I like Utah. I think I liked what they did last year. And I think that they're going to continue to continue that success with the Utes. And then I got Oregon right behind them. I've made it's, For me, it's like, what Bo Nix am I going to get this year? If I get the really good Bo Nix that we kind of got last year, then I can rock with them at two. I like Dan Lanning, of course. He's, uh, he's done a great job already building up that program, getting some good bodies in there. Four, I have Washington. I like Michael Penix a lot. I think that they're going to be really successful in the Pac-12. And then five, I put Oregon State. I think that the Pac-12 is a good place for someone like DJU to get back up on his feet. He's going to get a lot of shots, and I think he could really thrive in that system. So I guess I'm the only one who put Oregon at one. Mm -hmm. And I put it for an interesting reason because I saw a statistic. You know the last three coaches at Oregon in their second year have gone to the Rose Bowl or gone to the National Championship and won the Pac-12. Hmm. And the Rose Bowl is in the college football yeah. playoff this year. Chip Kelly did it in 2009 or 2010. Mark Helfrich did it in 2014. And then Mario Cristobal did it in 2019. Mark Helfrich made a Rose Bowl? Yeah, 2014. That was That's with Mariota. Crazy. That was with Mariota the year they beat the shit out of Florida State. Mm -hmm. So I, cool. I think Dan Landing could really get – He had a, they were 10-3 and three last year. So I think, especially with USC getting all this hype, I think they'll probably take a step back. A lot of teams are going to have their number this year now. So I kind of like Oregon at one. I went USC two, Washington three, Utah four, UCLA. So pretty customary after that. But I really think Oregon wins the Pac-12 this year. Toughest game on the road this year for Oregon looks to be Washington on the road, which isn't that far. Oh, Utah. So they play Washington and Utah on the road this year. I, I think one thing that should be noted about the Pac-12, they don't necessarily make it easy on their teams, right? There, There is no – 2023 version of Georgia's schedule in this conference. There never is. There's never a perennial version of what Clemson has to go through in the ACC. There's never anything like that in the Pac-12. They have, and part of the reason I think is because they own their own TV company. 
they have scheduled, they have set these schedules for parity. They want these teams to mm -hmm. be in the middle of the season, maybe back half of the season, back third of the season, and having things decided each and every Saturday and having windfalls change everything in our conference. And I'm here to tell you, it's kind of a back asswards way to think if you're a conference trying to get into a college football playoff. It's part of the reason you don't get into college football playoffs consistently because you got USC on their last game of the year having to play Oregon, and then guess what? Next week they might have to play them again in the Pac-12 championship game. Like that, that doesn't serve your program, or your uh, conference well for making the college football playoff. Let's talk offensive player of the year. If Caleb Williams is not allowed to win it, I've already said on this channel, um, I think Michael Penix has a statistically superior year to even that of Caleb Williams, who has a really, really solid chance to win a second Heisman Trophy this year. Going off of that, Roma Dunze. That's, that's kind of been Roma my guy Dunze. in the Pac-12. I really like him. Very good chance he could win the Bolitnikoff this year. I think he has a great chance of being Offensive Player of the Year. I went with continuity, and because he's getting so much Heisman hype, I think Bo Nix has a really good year this year. And he'll be the second-best quarterback in the Pac-12 after Caleb Williams. You ought to have to eat a piece of candy every time he throws a pick to lose a game this year. No, no, don't do that to me. You're eating at least three pieces. No, of I candy. look, I adopted, oh, I, I adopted Kansas. I'll do, I'll do a punishment for Kansas. Oregon, I'm okay. just kind of like, eh. We're just kind of here with that. Take. Yeah, I, I we're not like, standing on. No, it. I'm not dying on the Oregon Hill. All right, you're gonna die on Kansas. I'll die on Kansas though. <laughs> Go Jayhawks, baby. Go Jayhawks, baby. Um, all right, defensive player of the year. I'm gonna give a shout out to a Peach State product here, Cole Bishop. All right, Cole Bishop started 10 games as a freshman at Utah, all right, at safety. He's in his third year at Utah this year. He's a preseason All-American. Cole Bishop comes from Stars Mill High School here in southwest Atlanta in Georgia. And his senior year, like four games in, I'm calling a Stars Mill High School football game, and Cole Bishop is at the point where he's about to commit to an academy. That's where he was going to end up going. Maybe Duke. Duke was flirting around. Maybe Wake Forest. And then all of a sudden, midway through his senior year, Utah shows up. And guess what? Some bitch might start four years for the Utes, and he's going to play really, really well. Cole Bishop, Defensive Player of the Year this year. think he's a ball hawk. think he's also a guy that's going to show up in highlights of football games, too, because he's going to bring that pop and going to play with some stick about him. Cole Bishop, Defensive Player of the Year. I'm going with UCLA linebacker Darius Muasaw. Mm, you're fifth, a big names guy. I am, but also because this dude is a fifth-year linebacker. He played a couple of years in Hawaii. He's also had two seasons in which he's had over 100 tackles, and then he also had a season where he had 14 tackles for loss and seven sacks. I think mm. he's going to turn back the clock a little bit and get back to that this year. I went with a guy at Washington named Dominique Hampton. He plays Husky for their defense. That's Which a, is like their star? It's it's like I'm a star, assuming. essentially. Yeah. yeah, hybrid safety mix. He showed a couple flashes in the games I watched last year. I think it'll be very interesting to see. We all know that the Pac-12 isn't really known for defense, and they don't. a lot of players don't usually get hype coming into the season. So I went with a guy that I actually saw make plays last year in Dominic Hampton. So. One of the few. One of the few guys you actually saw make plays last year. Uh, coach of the year. Let's, let's wrap this up before we get out of here. I'm going Kalen DeBoer. Uh, the head coach over at Washington. I've already talked about how much I think they're going to have some success this year in the Pac-12. Last year was his first year as a head coach out there um, after coming over from Fresno State. Won nine games a year ago. I think they got a chance to win 10, maybe 11 this year. And you do that at Washington, you're a damn good football coach in my opinion. You can call me a homer if I do it. Jonathan Smith, Oregon State. I like, like I said, I think DJU is in a good spot to where he can kind of get back to his self, to the guy that everybody thought he was going to be. I think Oregon State is going to be successful this year, so I'm going to go with him. Dan Lanning. 
like I said, you okay. know, I, I think Oregon wins a Pac-12 this year. I think Bo Nix has a pretty good year. If that happens, Dan Lanning. Consistency the in the takes. My man's out here hammering, consistent, man. hammering that duck down. All right, I'm, I'm hammering them Huskies. All right, and, and we're consistent with our takes here on this channel. Hey, I've been watching that number over there. Most of you guys showed up for Pate. Most of you stuck around to hear the takes at the end. Hey, we do this every Monday through Thursday, 8 o'clock to 10 p.m. 8 to 9 is the local hour. We talk all things dog. 9 to 10 is all things college football. If you want to hang out with us, stick around, subscribe. We'd love to have you around here every night because we're certainly going to be here. I appreciate you for being here. Hit that thumbs up button on your way out. Love you. See you later.